0: Lord be with you. As most of you know at this time, it is a week and two days, that is at the time of this taping, that Nancy, my wife, passed into the presence of the Lord. And quite frankly, I am still in a state of shock and rawness from the loss. But I felt it was important that I Come and talk to you about where where I'm at and where we're all at, and to hear the word of the Lord for this moment. It's interesting that um, I prepared this message; it was to have been given last week, uh, before all of this happened, and of course then it was cancelled. And now today I come back and I look at these notes and I realize that in the great providence and wonder of his working, um, the notes that I prepared to give to you the week before Nancy went to be with the Lord, I then actually lived the notes, I lived through this message, and still am, only I recognize now that this message is so shallow compared with what I have lived in the last days. And so somewhere in the middle of all that, you will hear something of what has happened to me, but that's not my point in coming on today. It is that you should discover the enormity of God's grace. Let me tell you, anything I have ever said about the grace, the love of God over the last 65 years, I stand tonight and I say that it is absolutely true. But I say it at the same time as saying, but I haven't in those 65 years discovered the half of it. Uh, I have discovered more in the last few days— of God's grace and God's love that I have in the last 60 plus years. And I want you to know that. This is not just preacher stuff. This works. This works at the bottom of the valley of the shadow of death. And so I want to share with you this message that hangs somewhere between last week, this week, and um, we'll see what the Holy Spirit comes up with as we move on. It is in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 14. They had been through the feeding of the 5,000, or actually it was the possible 15,000, because it says 5,000 men, and then women and children. And so um, they've had that, and then Jesus puts them into a boat, the 12 that followed him as his disciples. He put them into a boat and insisted that they get off and go go across the lake home. And he went to the mountain to pray. That all is very interesting stuff. But it says in verse 24, And the boat was now in the middle of the sea. That was the Sea of Galilee. And it was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary now in the fourth watch of the night that was about three o'clock in the morning the fourth watch of the night jesus went to them walking on the sea when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it is a ghost and they cried out for fear but immediately jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And I'm leaving it there. And probably next week we'll finish the story. But I'm leaving it right there. It was, as you can pick up from just what I've said, um, it was was a a time of great pressure. There's more going on here than I read. Uh, Right uh, before all of this, it says that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. Well, John the Baptist, you might remember, was the cousin of Jesus and was a very important person in how this all unfolded. And, and so his beheading would be a, a terrible sadness to the disciples and certainly to Jesus um, then it says that the crowd that came to Jesus had no respect for their privacy, and it says that they were constantly coming and going and pressing and demanding, and and, and the sick were bringing those to uh, to be healed, um, and they get across the lake to get away from people. And Jesus said to the disciples, "It's time for a day of rest. Let's go. Let's go to a lonely place and rest for the day." But when they got there, the people had anticipated and they were there. And that's when the feeding of the thousands took place. And now, after all of that, they are in the boat and they're heading across the Sea of Galilee. And it says the winds were contrary. What what you're dealing with here is gale force winds. And they were contrary, that is, they were fighting into the wind to, to get across the lake. And so they'd gone to their oars and they're they're straining the oars against the wind and, and, and the waves are tossing the boat around and the spray is in their face and they're exhausted. This is in the middle of the night and it seems that they're not getting anywhere. They're tired. They're aching from pulling on the oars. The, the churning water threatens them they, they're fishermen they knew what to do with water they got great respect for water and its power to drown people but they carried on then then hey then out there in, in the middle of the waves can you get the picture here have you ever been on a, a, a piece of, of sea or lake where where the waves are high and and there's white caps and the wind is howling and then in the middle some there's a sort of dip and before the next wave and there walking in the midst of all the waves with his hair streaming behind him from the wind there's someone or something walking through the troughs of the waves and walking that is not battling the waves but walking on them and then up the side of them and over the other side walking on the water i mean what a picture of course it depends what you think is out there as to determine what kind of picture you're seeing um what, what I see there, because we know the whole story, but it's a picture of, fi- find the words, unbounded, unlimited freedom. I mean, can, can you see anything but freedom? Freedom unfettered from all the laws of nature? What, he, what he's doing is beyond all the laws of possible, And he, or in the eyes of the disciples, it is coming toward them. You see, they were terrified. They're terrified. They're they're believing this, whatever they see out there, to be a ghost or a demon spirit, some hostile entity outside of all that they're normal and so they're cringing now in the boat that is of course still tossing in the waves and now they've given up on their oars and they're just cowering in the side of the boat and they're whimpering like children it's a ghost it's a spirit and it's coming toward us now fear has taken hold of them just as an aside um, I find it fascinating that whenever there is supernatural, something that doesn't fit into the laws of what we call, count normal, the flesh always thinks of it as an evil power and, and, and cowers away. Religious flesh, they want a religion within the realm of scientific explanation. You notice that? Um religion has totally bowed to science and says, well, if, if, it, if it isn't science, then of course it's not real. And on the one end, they try to fit the whole thing into science, and uh, at the other end, they, they just flee for their lives and say it's the devil. Um I've had experience in the past in praying for people who when we'd finished praying, there was a miracle, and I use that term very advisedly, something happened totally outside of all laws of creatures and time and space and and the the church that those people came from then excommunicated them for contacting the devil because they, God could never do anything so good as that. You see, it, it, it's the religious flesh. It wants that religion that 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 is predictable within normal. You know, a, a religion, a, a God who's FDA approved. He's got the good housekeeping seal of approval. All things are possible, but it's limited to within what we count possible and normal. And so in this case, fear screamed in terror, but fear can also sneer and mock and excommunicate. But then you say, I have to ask this question. Why Why are they so terrified? That's a serious question, serious. I can understand why some... Um, Christians are terrified today because they've lived half their life and never seen any evidence that God loves them or does anything and, and so they they get terrified when the Holy Spirit really comes into their life. but these people know no the the these disciples cowering in the boat, they have been exposed to supernatural. Uh, healings, and I hesitate there because beyond, I mean, they, they, uh, hours before, not too many hours before, they have been part of the uh, way in which Jesus fed fifteen thousand people, uh, and so really, I, I say, why are you terrified? You you have been exposed to the supernatural. You have seen healings. You have seen that which baffles and boggles the mind. What, why? Why are you terrified? And they're screaming out. And Jesus can hear their screams of terror. And so he shouts through and above the wind. And if I could give a uh, sort of expanded translation of what he said, he said, be brave, be bold do not be afraid i am see in our regular version of the scripture it says uh, that he said it is i but the i we the the translation there in my opinion and according to my reading of the greek it is i am and you might remember that i am is the name of god revealed from exodus on. It's the name I am that is uh, covered over by the expression Lord. Every time you read Lord in the Old Testament, it should be I am. It is the name of God, vibrant in this present moment, in the fullness of all that he is. And Jesus, as I say, unbounded, unlimited, unfettered, walking above all the laws of this world, and now he calls to them and says, be brave, be bold, don't be afraid, I am. He, and yet, he, he's 101% human. He, he's, he's authentic human. And so here we have God himself, who is expressing himself fully, in the human, in the human genes, in the human mind, in human speech. Here he is, his majesty. He's walking without fear, walking without difficulty, inside the threat of the sea, which is like a great clawing monster around him, but he can't touch him. He walks over the claws. It's a... a, He's unlimited, I say again, above all the laws of nature. Let let me say one thing here. He doesn't suspend the laws of nature. That is, he doesn't say, well, just for now, they don't work. No, that's not the way it is. He didn't suspend the laws of nature, but he walked in an ability that transcended The laws of nature. And in that sense, a greater law is what he walked in, and that greater law was stronger and greater than the laws that we call the laws of nature. He had no visible means of support, but he was walking in an ability where gravity didn't have authority or any power over him. That's interesting. I tell you that it's something like it, but um, obviously it's not. But uh, when a plane takes off from a runway, how does that happen? Because the law of gravity should hold it to the ground. Should. And that plane weighs, I don't know how many tons, and all the more reason why it should be held on the ground by the law of gravity. How come that it can just slide off the ground and up to 40,000 feet? Um, it, It hasn't suspended the law of gravity, but rather the law of aerodynamics is more powerful than the law of gravity, and therefore it can seemingly Cancel out the laws of gravity. Jesus is bringing into all the laws of normal. He is bringing the law of the Holy Trinity, the law of love, the law of the kingdom of heaven, which transcends all laws that have kept us in prison before. That's what you're looking at here. You're looking at this majestic Jesus who is right inside of our humanity, inside of the storm that is threatening the disciples, yet he's not under its authority or control. And as Peter hears that voice through the wind and hears him say, do not be afraid, I am. He recognizes... That is Jesus. And our translation that I read to you from, where it says, if it be you, that, how can I, it, we, we sort of use that sometimes. Um, have you ever heard uh, sort of a summing up of a, of a conversation by someone saying, well, if it be the case, then let's do this. It's a it's not really, it's not saying, well, if it is you, with question mark and wondering if it's you. I, I think a better translation would be, since it is you. That's what he's really saying. He recognizes this is Jesus, and something rises within him at that moment. Since it is you, he is confessing that this person who is out there in the darkness of three o'clock in the morning in the howling gale walking on the water, it is Jesus. I am. And his response is, since it is you, since it is you, since it is you, oy, I, I, I have tried to get inside Peter's head. Do, do you ever do that? Uh, get to these characters, what what were they thinking? What made them say what they said? And, and we know more about Peter's workings, I guess, in his brain than the other disciples. Uh, and I can almost hear Peter saying within himself, what is, whatever is happening, I don't know. But I have learned that wherever he is, Wherever Jesus is, it's a place of safety, it's a place of peace, it's a place of love. And he says, then since it's not a ghost, you say, it is, I am, I am the God of creation and the God of salvation, God who has entered inside our humanity and is walking in our direst moments. And he walks there unthreatened. He walks there without fear. There's no anxiety. He's walking above its authority. It has come under his authority. And so Peter stepped out of that huddled group of still trembling men, And the Scripture says, and he answered. That is, he answered what Jesus had said. It's an important word. He just didn't shout back. The Scripture very specifically says he answered. And that word has a specific meaning. The word answer there, um, if I pull it out, I mean, it means answer, but uh, to pull it out is a certain kind of answer. It means a response to a word or a response to an action that one makes after weighing and evaluating the situation. And so responding then with a suitable word that fits the moment. Did you get that? Because you see, Peter's got a reputation Believe me, he had it with the other 11. Um, And when I read uh, Peter's story in the Gospels, I tend to agree with them. And I know everyone feels that way. Peter, he ran off of the mouth. Peter said things without thinking. Peter, so many times when he spoke out, you say, ooh, you know, I wish he hadn't said that. And I think afterward, Peter wished he hadn't said it. But but this is different. That's This this word I say again is very specific. It's a response to something that's happened. It's a response to something that's been said. But that response is not just a a spontaneous uh, blurting out because you're afraid and don't know what to say. No, it means after weighing and evaluating this situation. And when you respond, it is a suitable word. It fits the moment. Peter is is weighing it and of course everything happens in split seconds but it's amazing what you can conclude in 6 seconds you see he's saying i don't understand but then when does anyone ever understand this person who is among us you see and this is where peter i'm certain, he, he this is what he got that Jesus had already given authority with its uh, attendant powers and abilities. He'd already given that on certain occasions for these disciples to use. And so, don't, don't you remember, he had sent them out. And it's only, what, a couple of chapters prior to this that he had sent them out And he had given to them, he'd imparted to them his authority, his ability to preach the kingdom of God, do what he was doing, and also to heal the sick, even as he was healing them, and to cast out demons as he was casting them out. He communicated, he gave to them for that period of time anyway, the authority and the Uh, energy, ability, to go do it, and do it in his authority, his name. And that that had just happened with the feeding of the thousands, Uh, I don't know how carefully you've read that story, but they participated with Jesus in that, in that he put the little few pieces of bread in their hand, and as they went to feed the people, it multiplied in their hands. And they had experienced being part of the miracle. And Jesus often referred back to that. He says, don't you remember what happened there? As if to say, well, don't just put it on the shelf to tell your grandkids. He said, let it have an effect now. And I think this is what's happening. Peter is standing there. In the, the, these moments that both feel like eternity and flash by like seconds, he says, I don't understand, but when have I understood? He has already given to us his power to use, to preach, to heal the sick, cast out demons. He, we participated with him in the feeding of the 5,000 men. <coughs> and he it, it, is this the same? Is this the same? Is is He continuing to teach us that we, in union with Him, can do the same as He does? Is, is, he, is He doing this in front of us in order to draw us out now, to choose to do what He's doing, to trust Him, and allow us to join with His ability You see, there again, in today's world, certainly here in the Western world, uh, teaching is a, I don't know, I won't even make a comment, um, because I don't know what it does, really. I mean, when we say we've been to college, university, I really don't know what we mean by that these days. Uh, You see, teaching is not, and historically, even in the West, was not, Merely the communication of facts. You know, teaching is not that you anticipate an exams question and get yourself ready and stay up all night and memorize meaningless facts so you can get a silly degree. That, that's not, that never has been teaching. Well, what good is that? Except you've got a, a decent memory for 24, 48 hours and you've drunk too much coffee, but no, you see, teaching is always, and certainly in the Scripture, the very words that are used it emphasize it, teaching is bringing the student to be as and to do as the teacher. Did you get that? To teach means that the teacher brings the student to the point where he or she can be as the teacher and to now do what the teacher does and communicated to others. So, so Jesus didn't sit them down and lecture them and say, now you're going to have a test, see if you're my disciples. No, he, he showed them this is what I do. Now I'm giving you the authority to do the same. Go, go on, try Go on, go on. I'm not coming with you. you. You just go. And they come back and they say, Lord, it's incredible. The demons were subject to us. And you, you've read it. And they're still, at least when they got in the boat, they were stunned by what happened in the feeding of the 5,000. They, they're actually doing what he did. See, Jesus is not a museum piece to be watched and applauded. Gee, he, he's not that someone in history that boggles the mind and we all sit back and say wow no jesus he he, he fills all history and he is through the spirit the connecting point bringing the fullness of god into our little human lives so that we can fulfill the reason of our creation and live yet not us live but god himself living in us that's what humans are humans are are created. we're wired to be the indwelling place of god and for god to live and do his works in us and through us and jesus is the first human (laughs) who is god and therefore can reveal to us humans this is what you were created for. I know for some this is very, almost upsetting. I'm sorry. Um, Because we have been taught that Jesus came to deal with sin. See, the, the many areas of Christianity is obsessed with sin. All I can think of is that man is a sinner. He never really gets over that. He's always a sinner. And therefore, the mark of a Christian is a bowed head, bent back and said, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm unworthy. And then to anticipate damnation, hell and punishment, that fills much preaching. And, and And Jesus somehow forgives you if you try hard enough after he's done it. Um, and and that's it. That's it. People go to church every week to make sure that they're, they're still okay and they haven't sinned too much. That's so sad. So sad. Yes, of course Jesus came to release us from sin and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. Of course, of course. But that was in order for the real goal of salvation to take place. And that is that we should be united with Jesus, who is God, the original human. And He is now sourcing our life so that we would act as He. And that we would know the Father as he knows the Father. And delight in the joy and peace that he knows in the Father's presence. And we would be the love of God within ourselves to our neighbors. And love one another as we have been loved. And to do the works of love, which would include physical, mental, emotional healing. and, and, And to say the words of love. We weren't created just to be creatures like um, sort of sophisticated monkeys that that now could try their best to imitate Jesus and hope for the best. Now that, I, I don't know what to call it. It's not the gospel. It's not Christianity. It is this reality. He is teaching us to bring us in union with himself, to be as he and to do as he, and Peter stands there on the edge of the wildly rocking boat and he sees Jesus and he hears Jesus and flashing through his mind is everything I I, I believe he, he was remembering. And he's there, there he is, right on the edge of Jesus' life, a, a life unbounded, life without any limits, beyond all the laws of creature. It, just walking on the water, he is... Overriding, shall I say, the experience of the human race since Adam. Do you realize? Do you get a look at this, Jesus. He's dismantling the fences of our possible. You know, the, well, that's possible, and there you build a fence beyond that. Forget it. Jesus just kicks over the fences, and he brings us to a new possible which was everything we said was impossible. He breaks all of our erected barriers where we keep saying, I am not, I cannot. And he calls us to be bold and brave and without fear come into union with him, I am. Peter Oh, Peter had been challenged by waves and wind all his life. He was a coming-on middle-aged fisherman. He knew about waves. But now, as he stands on that reeling boat, he's challenged by something he's never realized. Known Well, he's coming to know it bit by bit, by, by love. I love, this is God, I am, caring for us and desiring that we should join him. His goodness is entering, touching the new possible uh, of the salvation of God in which we draw, we live upon the strength, the ability of Jesus. And he's challenged. I say challenged, I mean nothing was said. Jesus just said, I am, don't be afraid. But how can I put it? Up until then, Jesus had said, now you go and preach, you go and heal. And here's the power to do it. Is he now, I'll use the word tease, tease. I don't. I, I wish I had a better word because tease tends to be a mocking negative. But in his best meaning, was he teasing it out of them? Come on, look. Uh, and, and he's walking on the water. And the suggestion is you read all accounts of this in, in the Gospels. It, it was as if he was going to walk by them. He's sort of walking by uh, and watching out of the corner of his eye. Is, is he teasing them to say... That there's more to this joining me in doing what I do than you've ever dreamed of. Certainly, that's how Peter got it. He he sees Jesus, and no, nothing's been said about him walking on water, but he, he, he feels within him the very existence of Jesus walking on the water is a challenge, a God-given opportunity that... He should walk. He, Peter, should walk where other human beings had never, never walked. He's understanding in these micro moments, I can do anything that he, Jesus, permits. And as long as he authorizes it, I can do it. Now, I say it again, this isn't Peter just being impetuous old Peter with a big mouth. Uh, Do you remember the time when it was Peter who said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God? Do you remember that? And Jesus' response to him was, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It was was my Father in heaven. It was a Spirit revealing to Peter who Jesus was. So Jesus said, your own flesh, your own experience could never bring those thoughts into your head. It, it was my Father. And now, is, is this not the same? Is this not the same? Jesus walking before them as if to silently, dare, dare I say, wink at them and say, you know, you could. But Peter got, he got it. That he, with his authority, with his permission, I can do what he does. That was God. God showed that to Peter. But he won't move without the word from Jesus. He submits his ideas, he submits his desires and belief that this is what should happen. But his action will only be in the name and authority of Jesus. I'm fascinated with with just that, realize. I mean, his desires. You see, another thing that we have been shackled with for whatever, well, since i was growing up in churches there's this thing called the will of god i mean i mean the term shackle we can we can't move if it's the will of god if it's the will of god i i'll i'll pray for you to be healed only if it's the will of god god forbid that you should be well no not unless god uh, see will of god will of god i'm fascinated this fascinates me you see Who who said this? Peter. Peter said, bid me come to you. As Peter's desire, based on his interpretation of what's happening. You see, it isn't that Jesus has a sort of remote control and just clicks it and so Peter, like a robot, says it. No, this is Peter. It's Peter. It's what I desire. It's what I believe this is the right thing to do here. Uh, and, no, he, he's not a puppet that some invisible heavenly puppeteer is bouncing the wires. No, this, this is a genuine question. This is, this is a real exchange going on here. One on the reeling boat and the other in the middle of the waves and the wind howling between them, and the conversation goes on. And, and do you realize that, that Jesus said, You bet, you come, which means that something is going to happen. There will be history actually made that would not have been made. Unless Peter had said, This is what I want. That's fascinating. And it's fascinating that the other 11 chaps are cowering in the boat still, not sure whether it's a ghost or not. And they never walked on the water. Why? Because they never asked. It's as simple as that. What Peter wanted mattered. It mattered. The question, at least, as an aside to the big thing I'm trying to say here, the question comes, what do you want? Where, where today do you want the grace of God to explore with you union with Jesus? Quite a thought, quite a thought. And, and of course, the, it becomes obvious. Jesus, uh, Peter is not discovering some latent human powers. He's not discovering the power of positive thinking. Nor is he trying to be like Jesus. But he's asking permission, if you could put it that way. But it's a little bit more than permission. He's saying, I want this to actually join in to become one with the ability of Jesus. And he waits now for the enabling invitation Are they all, they're all in the back of the boat wondering what the will of God is, um, in the face of God's grace, religious flesh screams for caution. It screams, hold back. Let's have a subcommittee to discuss this. This is dangerous. This is risky business. Well, what's the will of God we, we should? Well, then, of course, what will they say? Boy, Peter is going to be the joke of the lakeside community when they hear about this. Huh. No one's ever going to take you seriously again, Peter. Are you a daft man? Think you can walk on water? That's, yeah, that, this is the end of any hopes you had of being the leader here. But apparently Jesus disagreed. <laughs> he said, Come! And it's in an imperative. Come at once. Or you could say, go for it, man. Come. Leave where you are to be where I am. Join me in what I am doing, in the ability that I'm doing it in. And there's no doubt. I mean, read this. I mean, I've read it hundreds of times just to get the feel of what's happening here. Jesus was delighted that one of his students has got it. He's grasped the point of it all. I, it's almost, and it's not far from what it actually says, that come play with me in my all possible world. Yeah, we are created, as Jesus said, we're created. Be bold. The, the great word in the New Testament is the word for freedom of speech, which we translate as boldness. But it means the freedom to say what you will without fear. Let it all hang out. God the Father, and now hearing God the Son, God the Holy Spirit urging us, God desires, He wills our input. He listens to our desires arising from His Word. God's freedom is in us. You could say God's will is fluid. Oh, that's something in it. God's will is fluid. He made room for Peter's desires in his plans, but you get the distinct impression it could have gone either way. He could have come, just got in the boat, and we we're on our way home. Or the whole jolly twelve of them could have joined him on the water. Had a picnic on the waves. I mean, you're you're really on the edge of. Whatever. And Jesus puts it out there. What do you want? It's fluid. We can make room for whatever you want here. Huh. And Peter, he stepped out of the boat. Now think about that one. If you're going to get out of a boat in the middle of the lake, there's a certain way of doing it, you know. You've got to put your head down and put your hands out and you plunge head first in. Then you can swim. But if you're going to get off the boat and walk, you do it backwards. You put your feet down first. Peter, with the boldness of Jesus, now his own, connected across the waves, he steps out of the boat onto the waves as if on dry land with no visible means of support held only by the word of Jesus. I've often thought what was in his head at that time. He didn't know what to do. Of course he didn't know what to do. He'd never done this before, nor had he ever seen anybody do it. There's no textbook. There's no formula that's out there telling you how to walk on water. Nor did he have training rails to help him, you know. There was nothing to hold on to. This is more than unfamiliar. It's got the feeling of illegal. It's, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. This passes all human understanding. But, and this to me is, is so, so important, in getting out of that boat and standing where humans can't stand, Peter deliberately stepped into, he chose to step into a place of extreme vulnerability, exposure. He's now vulnerable, exposed to everything we've talked about, the wind, the currents, the waves, all of which at this point, three, four o'clock in the morning now, this gale-force storm, everything around him, everything his feet touches and everything he could reach out and touch, everything has death written on it. He is vulnerable, exposed. And every cell of his natural human body says you can't do this. But a word from Jesus And that invisible and yet all-abilitizing presence of Jesus across the waves was actually sharing his ability. And so Peter, on a different level, was vulnerable and exposed to the grace and the strength and ability of Jesus. That is the only way he's going to survive Hear it. The only way he's going to survive is on that grace, that very presence of Jesus that is more than out there on the waves, but is actually communicating inside of Peter the ability and the strength. That there's nothing else. Do I have to say it again? There's nothing to hold on to, there's no formulas. Peter's dead. If the whole of the words of Jesus fail, let me say it very carefully that the only way you'll ever know the grace of God is to be vulnerable. That is, it is to know that without the grace of God, I am finished. That a grace to go down to the deepest depths and reach out to the outermost that will hold that will be ability beyond human ability. That shall actually be the the, the way in one which walks without any visible means of support. That's grace. That's grace. Grace isn't just a vague feeling of niceness. Grace is the almighty strength of God that comes to us in Jesus Christ and is actually put inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And somehow, we only really see and feel that when we are vulnerable and in it. I I say a chosen weakness. That is, we choose to be there. We choose to be where we are. Of course, it's it's a pretty obvious choice. There is nowhere to be... (laughs) Where we are is where we are. But if in my mind I want to be somewhere else, if in my mind I wish this was not, then I'm walking backwards in my mind. And I have put the brakes on all of my life. But we choose. Peter chose to be there. And the other 11 are saying, You're crazy, man. You've gotten out of the safety zone of the boat. And you've put yourself, you've chosen to be weak. Weak in that you are now subject to the waters, but weak in that you are ready to receive all that flows to you from Jesus. Yeah, this is it. With men, it's impossible. And I mean, get down inside of that word, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That is in the middle of my impossible. There flows into me God's possible. And we live without the support, without any visible means of support. And Peter began to walk toward Jesus. And with every step, the other 11 guys are receding back there. They're, they're getting further away and further away. There, there is a terrible and yet glorious aloneness. They, they, however much those guys love me, they can never ultimately hold me up on this lake. However much they would want to, should they, they can't. I am walking alone. I am walking, putting every footstep down onto the paving stone of God's grace and ability and love that upholds. And I can do and am doing that which human of self cannot do. This this applies to the whole of our Christian life. Let, Let me say this and um i'm not trying to spiritualize this i think you know me well enough it's interesting this is the only time that we read of jesus walking on water only time we read of peter doing it also we we read of peter and water again in the gospels but every time he swims but so this is a unique time which tells me that though this is an historical incident, it's teaching me something that is applicable to the whole of life, not just to the act of walking on water. As I've gone around the world, certainly in primitive parts, I've heard uh, um, reports of persons walking on the water, uh, usually in times of great persecution or unusual need. So I'm not in any way negating that this is historical, but it is pointing to something that is true at all moments and all times. So that to love one another as he has loved you is greater than walking on the water. Think about that. Every time I put off the self for self and put on the very life and love of God... Uh, I've gone where humans can't go. God is living in me His life. It all seems so impossible to historical Christianity, but the Scripture says, for me to live is Christ. Or again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or as the Amplified says, I am self-sufficient with the self-sufficiency of Christ. There are, I think every one of us, without um, every one of us, have been in situations where you realize there's nothing to hold on to. You don't know how to do this. And at that time, you have known the grace of God your weakness has opened the doors to just receiving all of God's grace that other times in the boat would tend to hide from that grace and say, I've got this handle, it's okay. Just a bit more rowing and we'll be there. But this, this is different. Uh, and let, let me say this, and I'll say more about this next week, but we, we choose to be where we are. We choose to be where we are. It might be hell on earth, but we choose to be there because that is where we are. And to say, I wish I was here, or to say, I wish this never happened, well, that's ridiculous. You're trying to walk backwards in time or over to somewhere else in time, and the whole thing is in in the fantasy of our victim mentality. Poor me, look what's happened to me. No, the storm didn't happen to Peter Peter happened to the storm because he, he, he was not subject to its laws. And he chose to get out there in a place so vulnerable it was only the grace that came to him from Jesus that held him up on, if it wasn't there, we're finished. And there are other times when we are thrust out of the boat. We weren't planning it. We weren't thinking of it, and we were thrust out of the boat To walk on water. I I said to a friend just a couple of days ago that I've come to the conclusion that life is what happens to you when you were planning something different. When everything you had planned and everything you had expected suddenly is not and shall never be and you find that you are now in the middle of a raging storm and you're walking on the water with no uh, safety rails, nothing to hold on to, all you have, and what an all, is the I am himself, whose name is Jesus, who is saying that he is the grace and he is saying, "Come." Walk on the water, and I am your strength, and I am your peace, and I am your joy. I am your meaning. I said at the beginning that I prepared this message before Nancy passed, and then having prepared it without thinking about it until today, I have lived through every line of it. And I am realizing with awed wonder the strength which is not human strength, the shalom, that power of peace that holds us together, the sense that all is in his control and under his control. And though you shake your head in disbelief to hear him say in your heart that all things do work together for good to those who love God. And I, your mentor, your bishop, I sit before you this night and I tell you, it matters not what the storm, matters not whether you chose very deliberately to walk a path where you would need only God's grace to do it, or whether you found yourself plunged into such a path without having time to think, matters not. From this One who now through the New Covenant is our very life, there streams to us life, real life, there upholds us a strength and a peace that is really beyond human understanding, that in all truth eye has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man. In my life, just over a week ago, a page turned, a chapter ended before we had time to put the period in. And I look now at a new chapter, the white pages, Untouched at this point, although in retrospect, I'm sure they're well-touched, and we're well into the chapter already. I know not where it leads, but this I know. Every page and the weave of every page is God's grace that holds us and carries us. And in Christ and through Christ, we can do all things. It's a very strange position, and I'm, I'm finished then. It's a very strange position, for one weeps, one screams at what happens. And yet at the same time, and this is so important, at the very self-same time you know you're in the embrace of God's love, and you know at that same time you are now being carried His arms are around you. I weep and he tastes the tears and the salt. We're one and he walks us through. And I want you to take courage from these words and walk on the water in your life. And we will finish this next week. One last thing. The very last thing that Nancy and I Discussed together was the December retreat. And we always planned it together, right down to the message, what we both felt was the mind of God. And we had planned it, the last thing we ever did together. And so <laughs> the retreat in December, which is the first weekend of December in Kerrville at the end of the Hills. And the title is Radical Transforming Grace. And I would take six hours to explore this incredible subject. And I say again, and I won't keep on saying it, but when I said, along with Nancy, that this is what the retreat will be about, I thought I knew what I was talking about. And just a few hours later, I now know I have discovered that grace to unlimited unlimited limits. And so that retreat in December is going to be very interesting and shall expose levels of the grace of God and much more importantly, how we live in that grace. But that's enough. That's enough. You can call the office for details. And now the blessing of God, who is Almighty Love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, embrace you, undergird you, and carry you in His strength this night, this week, and to the ages of ages. Amen.